Why not? Why not is right. I actually got that on the recording. Why not? Is teeing it up with Jeremy Schilling from the studios of teeing it up in the swamps of Jersey on this May 14th. It's already May 14th, Sean. Sean Davison joins us to recap the Players' Championship. The final one in May. Did you cry on your way leaving TPC Sawgrass yesterday? Look, I love TPC Sawgrass. I think it's a wonderful venue for this event. But I was crying tears of joy. The days of walking around that golf course and feeling your skin bake have come to an end. At least you won't feel it bake in March. You might still get the same sunburn, but you're not going to feel it bake in March because in March you still have those days where you'll get those days in the 40s and in the 50s. And I think it's going to be a much more comfortable walk around TPC Sawgrass for players and for fans even if you're still going to get sunburnt in the process. You bring up an interesting point. Tiger kept uh, uh, talking about this with how, with how far the ball was flying. Was this one of the hotter and more humid players you can remember? Absolutely. Not even a question. I didn't even have to spend two seconds answering that question. The weird thing here in Florida is, you know, I'll go back about a week ago. We had days in the 70s, and I feel like I blinked. And the, and the thermostat was saying 94. I mean, it went from 77 to 94 in no real span of time. And yet, there's a jump there that, especially when you add in humidity, it's just drastic. And even those of us that live here, day in, day out, week in, week out, um, have to get used to. And it just happened so quickly that yeah, I think it caught a lot of people off guard. And yeah, it was, it was a real scorcher out there. Um, and, and and obviously led to stuff like Tiger's Drive 353 down uh, 14 yesterday, which he unfortunately was was unable to convert it into anything. Let's start with Webb Simpson. Talk, talk about that drive, too. Yeah. I'm going to go back to, uh, I, I'm not going to mention the pro's name or this pal that I was talking with, but we were following a particular pro on 11. Yes. At Valve Bar. And uh, hooked his second shot, left on 11, over the trees into what was the spectator parking lot on that long par five. One of the funniest things I've heard on a golf course is this person looked at me, stared at me with no change of expression on their face and said, I didn't know that was an option. <laughs> Going back to Tiger's Drive on 14 at TPC yesterday, Jeremy, I didn't know that was an option. Well, I, I yeah. I mean, he just unleashed one. It was the second longest drive of the day. Um, and we will get to Tiger in a second, but that, that was... Just ridiculous, um, uh, and and I, I hopefully a sign of what's to come. Uh, Webb Simpson, you have uh, followed Webb for a while. Obviously, all of us who have followed golf was, and he was a steady player. Drove it well, hit it well, putted well with the anchored um, style, and he really had hit hard times. Had had hit rock bottom, and if it wasn't for Tim Clark suggesting the Kucher method with the claw, who knows where he would be. But he turned back the clock yesterday because that's the Webb Simpson you and I have seen for years leading up to the anchoring ban, and he absolutely lit that course up, especially on Friday and Saturday. Well, he looked like the Webb Simpson that was going back and forth with a then number one in the world, Luke Donald, for player of the year, FedEx Cup champion, all that good stuff, you know, all the way throughout the season where those two were back and forth and back and forth and back and forth for just about every honor you could imagine. Uh, that was the year Luke Donald ended up playing Disney 
and winning Disney to uh, to cement himself as the number one player in the world. But I mean, that that was so good to see. You know, Webb is one of the most well liked guys out on tour. Uh, Paul Tesori, one of the best people as caddies out there on tour. I mean, the Webb Simpson camp is well respected, well regarded, and well embraced by fans, by fellow comrades out on tour. And it has been tough for them. You know, there, there's guys that, you know, with the anchored putting, uh, putting plan, uh, band, my gosh, what's their heart? The anchored <laughs> putting band uh, that, that was instituted that has struggled a bit. You know, he, Keegan Bradley, both. We haven't really seen them. No. Or at the very least, win since that ban was in place. And I'm not going to point at that one issue directly, but it's a drastic change for guys who've been doing something and finding success one way and then have to go back to the, the drawing board, so to speak. And to see Webb Simpson play the way we knew he could play, and more importantly, he knew he could play, in an event such as the players, was really good to see. Because this is a guy who's had, since he was an amateur at Wake Forest, earning sponsor exemptions to the Arnold Palmer Invitational and shooting 66 on the weekend to get himself on the leaderboard, a guy that a lot of people looked at and thought, he's got the potential to have a really good future out there. Hit a little stumbling block, but it seems like he's back on track now. Um, and what was impressive, you know, playing with big leads is weird. Um, and, and he didn't play his best yesterday, but he, you know, struck it well enough, uh, you know, just well enough, kind of meandered his way around the mid part of the round. Um, and look, he, um, was playing with confidence and you could see it with when a guy like that is playing with confidence. And I mean, I don't know what Webb Simpson will do the rest of the year. I don't know. If he can translate this down the line uh, in, into more majors, I mean, he's a borderline Hall of Famer now. Um, if he wins another major, he's definitely a Hall of Famer by what's currently getting people in. But for, for my money, um, you know, this was about as solid a performance as you'll see somebody put up. Absolutely. I mean, there were no glaring weaknesses in his game. He gave 59 a run on Friday, gave the course record a run. Um, this is a guy that that just didn't blink at all. And even on Sunday, when he didn't have his best, he didn't have to have his best, and he certainly didn't have his worst. You know, we've seen plenty of times guys with big leads have faltered down the stretch, but this is a guy that has won a major championship, that has won multiple times on tour, knows exactly what he needs to do to get the job done. And while having a big lead on Sunday, especially for a guy who despite having all that experience and winning experience at that, hasn't won in a little while. It's been a few years for him. Um, you know, it, it was really impressive to see. And this is the web that a lot of us saw and thought, wow, he can do something special. And he still can. And I think this week, especially being able to handle holding a big lead and, you know, withstanding runs that some of the best players in the world tried to make over the weekend, you know, that's something that I think he'll absolutely take moving forward into the season, and we'll see what he can do the rest of the way. Weird uh, time at the top of the leaderboard yesterday. We had guys falter late. The speeds of the world faltered. Jason Duffner three-putted and cost himself over $700,000. Um, Danny Lee had trouble. Um, Jason Day, though, made a nice run with 68, even though he... 
um, part in the entire back nine and couldn't really do much after the Eagle at, at a nine. Um, it was kind of one of those weird days where guys would kind of float up and then float back and we'll get to Tiger. For my money, what Xander Shoffley did this weekend, though, I thought this dude would not rise up on a leaderboard again after the Tour Championship. I thought he was a one-hit wonder. 69, 67, 71, uh, sorry, wrong person. 68, 68, 71, 67. Um, seeing that golf course for the first time was really impressive. This is a guy that, you know, the first time I think a lot of us were introduced to him was at Aaron Hill. He shot, I believe, three or four under that first day. And, you know, it was one of those things where I remember what I thought. I thought, okay, well, he's outside at the time. He was outside the top 125 in FedEx Cup. And I thought, well, you know, he's one of those guys that, got himself into the U.S. Open, going to shoot a nice first round. He might finish somewhere in the teens to 20s, and uh, he'll have a nice week, and we might see him finish in the top 10 at another event down the road, whether it be a John Deere or a Greenbrier or a Wyndham or whatever, and that'll be about it. But he kept that hot streak going. I mean, he won Greenbrier. Then he went down the road and won the Tour Championship, and then he's contended Week in, week out, a lot of times since. He's stepping up on the big stage here at TPC. This is a guy, he, he jokingly said he was a late bloomer, you know. He's right about the same age as Jordan Spieth, Justin Thomas, Ricky Fowler. We've heard those three guys' names for years and years and years. Uh, even going to that same age group, I feel like we've heard about Jamie Lovemark since he was in college. Um, Xander Shoffley didn't really know much about him. Never really were introduced all that much to him until the U.S. Open at Aaron Hills. And since then, he's become one of the more solid, consistent, and promising young, young players that we've seen, but has been under the radar. And uh, I think he's starting to prove that it's time to not have him under the radar much longer. I, I also want to give a shout-out to uh, Harold Varner. Here's a guy who wanted to play with Tiger all his life, gets the practice round with him, takes from it to be patient, 71, 67, 70, 68. That's a really nice final round for Harold Varner, a guy who's won, obviously, in Australia, has not yet won on the PGA Tour. This is going to do a lot for his year. He went from 160 to 126 in the FedEx Cup. Promising young player, great personality, a guy that a lot of people like, um, and a guy that the fans like, too. He's very personable, and uh, I, I think that he will be able to build off of a great week at TPC. You know, young players in big tournaments, whenever they can put themselves in a position to, to, to succeed in some way, in not just any tournament, but a big tournament, that's an extra shot of confidence. Maybe this is Harold Varner's Aaron Hills for Xander Shoffley. You know, maybe this is the moment where, in a field that is absolutely loaded, with the very best players in the world from all across the globe, he puts together a quality week, gets a nice finish, jumps up the FedEx Cup points. Maybe he can put together two or three weeks from here, get himself on a few more leaderboards, and you never know. You do never know. We're talking to Sean Davison about the players. Um, Tiger, you tweeted after, I just closed it, dumb me. Um, <laughs> You tweeted, obviously Tiger had trouble closing Saturday and Sunday. You tweeted, this dude doesn't just move the needle. He is the needle. He is looking as strong as I've ever seen. He's still putting the pieces back together and figuring things out, and he's still contending. Um, and uh, you, you tweeted when you came to his group yesterday, 
just joined the Tiger group. There's a familiar buzz in the gallery. Dude just mangled a drive on 14. Never someone hit it this far. If he sticks it, this bunch will go nuts. He did not stick it. He spun it off the green. But I think you seem genuinely impressed with, with, with what Tiger showed yesterday. I'm impressed with what he showed the entire weekend. You know, he didn't close out Saturday and Sunday the way he would have liked. But, you know, Saturday's the first time we've really seen Tiger, aside from his event in the Bahamas, which is a different type of event, string together some birdies and, and really make your eyes pop when you look at a leaderboard. You know, he was consistent. He had himself on the leaderboard throughout the week in Tampa. Uh, but he didn't really have that super low 9 or that super low 18 out there. Same can be said for Bay Hill. Um, players, after he was flirting around the cut line, I remember I was on my way over to Tallahassee to, to call NCAA Tournament Tennis, and I pulled off at a rest area, and I checked Twitter to see what was going on, and I started to see Tiger tweets, and his name was trending, and I saw at the time, I believe he was 600 through 8 or 600 through 9 or 500 through 7 or something like that, and I thought, oh my gosh. So I started looking at some of the videos and seeing him with the early walk on a lot of putts. I started to see that fist bump, and it just, it, it deals with the moments when you see that. It's like, oh my gosh, this guy's close. He's really close. You know, at times, his accuracy still plagues him. At times, you know, with distances and controlling the spin on approaches, it still plagues him. And, you know, whether it's one little thing here or one little thing there, that's the difference between being able to close out a fantastic round and settling for a 65 or a 66. And, you know, we saw it on Saturday where he just sort of ran out of steam, it seems, or at least the momentum of the round ran out of steam. And then the same thing on Sunday when he bogeyed 14 with a wedge in his hand, uh, did not birdie the par 5 16th, doubled the 17th, and then par 18. Uh, he's close. And I think a lot of people will focus on, oh, he didn't finish it. I don't think enough people are focusing on the fact that this is a guy who, we go back a year and a half, wasn't sure he was going to play again, period, is back out on tour, is 80th in the world. I mean, you go back long enough, you got to add another zero to that. I mean, you, you chop off his, I mean, it's ridiculous what he's been able to do this year. And I've seen him in Tampa, and I've seen him in May Hill, and I've seen him now at TPC. And the kind of golf that he's playing, and if he can hit the kind of fairways, I mean, the way he was hitting fairways left and right for the most part over the weekend at TPC, if he can mimic that for four days and get himself in positions where he can really let his iron play, which by and large, with the exception of a few days where he just hasn't had it here or there, um, if he can put himself in better positions from fairways with good angles to pins where he can let that iron play really do some damage, oh, my goodness, he is very close to winning on the PGA Tour. And a lot of people who have been saying, but he hasn't closed the deal on Saturday or Sunday to capitalize on these runs, will then be singing a different tune because that is sports. And as people who cover sports, we know how fans are. Um, but he is so close. And you can tell he's still figuring things out because, I mean, what is he, eight tournaments into this new comeback? I mean, you're going to still be figuring things out in that regard. But he has been so impressive. And the, the most impressive thing to me or the most fun thing for me is, you know, seeing people my age, you know, people my age are having kids and people my age are having kids that are now four or five years old and seeing people my age with their four and five year olds telling them about this guy, Tiger Woods, and just seeing how he's crossing generations and he's still on leaderboards. 
Um, you know, I know this is something that makes Tiger Woods sound quite old, and the bottom line is, is he's now in his 40s. But there's still that familiar buzz in the air. And I, it takes me back to 08, 09, walking the fairways at Bay Hill, and just 10, 15 people deep at times, trying to get a glimpse at Tiger Woods. It was back, for real, at TPC. And they had reason to cheer and get loud, and it would just, it sent goosebumps down your arms and chills down your spine. To hear the whispers and the murmurs and, you know, speaking specifically of what I tweeted about, that was at 14. He just birdied, you know, 11 and 12, parred 13, uh, mangled the drive on 14. He knew he was going to have a wedge in his hand. Nobody who had been at that tournament had seen a drive that deep on that hole. Um, and then Webb Simpson was still at 18. You know, there was the chance that you go in there, you put a birdie on the board, you cut the lead to three, who knows? And everybody knew he had a wedge in his hand. So, I mean, that was when the whispering started. And it was very short-lived because he'd go on to bogey 14. But, you know, 14 green and 11 green are about a stone throw apart. They're separated only by the 12th tee. And there's no way of knowing, you know, as Webb is playing into 11, if Tiger sticks that approach on 14 and the crowd inevitably goes nuts, what happens there? We could have been that close to Tiger Woods really doing something that could have changed the entire complexion of the golf tournament. But it didn't happen, and Webb was super solid anyway. But it was a lot of fun watching this weekend, I'll put it that way. Yeah, it's, uh, you know, Shinnecock, they've, they've brought the fairways in a bit. They've narrowed it up. Um, we shall see how his game reacts to that. But it'll be really interesting to see if Tiger can continue this. Ever since Augusta, he made that change in his shaft at Augusta, and the driver in three would have been really cooking, and if it's firm and fast at Shinnecock, the stinger will help, and uh, tremendously, too. Um, he's close. I, I agree that he's close. Were you there on 17 when he came through yesterday? Were you uh, there at that time? I was there on uh, 16 fairway, and at that point in time, I did not try to get super close to 17. I was close enough. And I watched 17 from over along 16 fairway, but I was there. Was the wind really swirling like that? Because he, he complained that he caught a gust that switched back into him. For my money, looking at it, it, the shot wasn't even close. It wasn't like he hit the boards. I mean, the shot just was not close. And he said, no, he didn't miss hit it. Were the winds really swirling that bad down there? You know, I'll be honest with you, it, that was, that's harder for me to tell simply because when you are walking along the ropes in and amongst the gallery, you know, you got people that are breaking up the wind yeah. uh, that, that, are, that are standing around you. Not to mention the way 16 and 17 have boomed in terms of popularity and stature and, and really have helped this tournament skyrocket. There are hospitality boxes all around 16 and 17 that at, you know, your level as a person standing on the ground, there's only so much you're going to feel. And that's why you see players looking up at the players' flags that were above the hospitality and even at the American flag on top of the camera lift. Mm-hmm. Get a true idea of when they launch that ball in the air, what's it going to do? Um, so there's only so much you feel, you know, down on the ground. But I will say this. I, I saw those flags at different points during the day blowing all different kinds of directions. So it's entirely possible that the wind shifted or the wind died or, or whatever happened could have affected that ball while it was mid-flight. 
the swirling, ever-shifting winds that is TPC Sawgrass. Talking to Sean Davison, uh, you you told me off air you spent some time following Patrick Reed uh, the last couple of days. How did his game feel? You know we've 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 talked a lot on this show about post-major hangovers, guys having trouble regaining their form. Uh, as somebody who's who's walked a lot with him, uh, what were your thoughts? There was a stretch on Friday where I thought we might be seeing Patrick Reed make an appearance on the leaderboard. He was three under through his front nine on Friday. And, and by the way, he got the bad side of the draw. If I recall correctly, the Thursday afternoon groups, there were only three guys in that Thursday afternoon wave that were somewhere in, the, in a general respectable position on the leaderboard. A yeah. lot of them, dealing with the wind and whatnot, were, uh, were in tough shape. Evidenced by the Woods, Fowler, and Mickelson group, where Mickelson was sky high toward the bottom of the leaderboard. Fowler struggled coming in, and, and Woods was at even par. Um, but Reed, you know, on Thursday, he, he got to 300 twice, um, made a couple of mistakes coming in. Uh, there were moments where he looked really, really good. I, I think distance control was something that sort of caught him on a few occasions, especially on Sunday. Uh, shots online, just short, and as people would see with Tiger on 14, if you put a little bit of spin on the ball and you're short, there's a lot of false fronts at TPC Sawgrass that turn a pretty decent shot into a pretty tricky chip where you don't have a lot of green to work with, um, and, and that was sort of the story for Patrick Reed. You know, I think he'd be first to tell you he didn't putt nearly as well as he would have wanted to, um, but there was a moment on Friday where I thought we could be seeing him putting together a bit of a run. He was three under on the back nine, which was his front nine that morning. He had birdied 18. He was going over into the front nine of the course, which he was actually three under on on Thursday until he double bogeyed the ninth. Birdied two, and I thought, okay, this is the moment. He's going to shoot something in the neighborhood of, you know, he'll birdie the other par five, and he might birdie four where they usually have a wedge in their hand. He might shoot something like a 66, maybe a 65. And uh, the only thing he was able to do coming in was par from two on, and that's where the distance control and whatnot started plaguing him a bit. Um, but yeah, distance control and putting were the two big things for him, and, and there were moments where it was great, and there were moments it just wasn't quite there. And uh, it's going to happen to you week in, week out on the tour. You're not going to have your best week. Uh, but there were moments of promise, and I, I think Patrick's game will come around, and, and I would not be surprised to see him on a leaderboard sooner rather than later. Um, talking to Sean Davis and Sean, I, uh, I, I want to make sure that we touch on this because every time I have you on, we talk about it off air. We, we talk about it for 30 seconds on air. We don't give enough time to it. You love yourself some good college baseball. We are coming down the stretch in the college baseball season. Who should we be looking at for those who enjoy college baseball? Who, who has piqued your interest on a national level? You're really going to have to make me as a Florida State alum that the Florida Gators are a team that we all not only have to pay a particular attention to, but sit and watch and uh, admire, right? Um, no, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. But I, I'm kidding in, in, the, in the respect that I'm getting you grief, but in the, in the part that I'm saying that they are a seriously impressive team, there's a very good chance, and, and I would put it at, I don't know, 70 to 80% at this point in time, the way that the Gators have run through the SEC which along with the ACC is, I would say, certainly the toughest baseball conference. Um, the way they've run through that conference has been impressive, to say the least. 
and the quality of pitching that Kevin O'Sullivan has brought into Florida on a regular basis has just been phenomenal. And at the college level, if you can pitch well, you're going to go a long, long way. You know, to, to that point about what they're doing in conference play, they're 20 and 7 in conference play. And, and a lot of these conference series are three game series. So if you think about all of these three game series that they're playing for the majority of the season, and they only have seven losses total in SEC play, and only five more, they're 41 and 12 on the season. The number one team in the, in the country, consensus number one team in the country, didn't lose a whole heck of a lot from last year's national championship roster. I think this is a team that for sure can get back to Omaha and for sure can win the whole thing and go back-to-back as, as national champions. Um, Kevin O'Sullivan's built a machine, a winning machine down in Gainesville, and if I was to handicap the field or a prospective NCAA tournament field, um, the team I'd put my money on would be Florida. We shall see how it pans out as the uh, quest to get to Omaha um, continues. It, it'll be right around. It'll be right around the corner before you believe it. Sorry, go ahead, Sean. Yeah, that's fine. My quest to Omaha is already set in stone. I found a cheap enough flight, and regardless of whether or not FSU goes, I'm going for a few days. There you go. Look at that. that. You know, I've heard the pageantry out there at TD Ameritrade and the way that the city of Omaha embraces the College World Series is something that you just sort of have to see and be a part of to believe. And uh, I found a cheap enough flight, and I decided, you know what, I'm going to go for a few days. So I'm looking forward to it. It should be fun. Good good for you. And, yeah, I mean, that, that that's like the big event in Omaha, you know, especially in the spring or early summer. So uh, looks like all good things uh, will be coming your way when you get to Omaha later this spring. Sean Davison, thanks as always for coming on Teeing It Up. I appreciate it. Thank you, Jeremy. And thank you for listening to Teeing It Up with Jeremy Schilling.